1: One of the things that is so special about America is this belief in America and the American dream. And this is why people still want to come here today. And it's still probably the most fair country in terms of being a real meritocracy where if you, you know, you work hard and you get some sweat equity and a little bit of intellect. And, hey, you know what? A little bit of luck, too, because you still need that. Um, Then you know, (laughs) you need the, the, the wind at your back, as they say. You can get ahead. You can get ahead in this country. And I don't care. Where you're from, what color your skin is, whether you're male, female or who the heck knows what else these days. You know what? If you work hard in the United States of America, you can still get ahead. You may not be able to for long if they're successful in this this quest to to change the entire system, which would effectively rig it for a certain group and leave a few on the top and a whole lot on the bottom. But still it's the the one place that, that we have that I, I think about it a lot it's Just I have family that lives in France and they have said to me, I have a cousin over there who was raised there. She's actually an American history and English teacher in France. And she said that she's always teaching this American dream because there's no other country like it. And I'm like, you don't have that in France? No, we don't have that in France, she tells me. We don't have it. It just doesn't yep. exist. We don't have that that sense of optimism that tomorrow's going to be a better day, right? And that is is so critical, I think, to this sort of psychiatric health of a nation, Yes, but you know, this is, this is part of what you've, you've been doing. I, myself, I, I'm no historian, but I was a history student in college and specialized actually in early America and founding fathers, revolutionary war, grew up in the, the great state of New Hampshire, where we were one of the original 13 colonies. So I was sort of surrounded by it my whole life and I've always loved it. But you, you too were surrounded by it because your father started this, did he not?
0: Yeah, we we grew up studying American history. My dad started collecting back in the '80s, and really, he started collecting because the first time he actually had, had read George Washington's farewell address, there was something that struck him where George Washington said that religion and morality were the indispensable supports of our political prosperity in America, and he thought that's so weird. Because he'd always heard that, that guys like George Washington were atheists and agnostics and deists, and they didn't believe in God. And yet George Washington, in his farewell address, considered the most significant political address ever delivered, he said, you need religion and morality. And it led my dad to start thinking, have have I been, been lied to? Have, have I misunderstood the founding fathers? He went back and started trying to find some of their original writings to read. And the more original writings he found, the more he read, the more he realized that the narrative that he had learned was not, in fact, correct. The founding fathers were not a group of terrible, evil, awful men. Now, they weren't perfect, but but they weren't most of what they have been accused of over the last many decades, especially in recent decades. They're not guilty of most of those sins and crimes they've been accused of, but it was his a hunger for truth that led him to begin collecting and studying and reading these documents. He started sharing these documents and it really kind of grew and expanded to a lot of what we do today, where we try to present America's forgotten history and heroes emphasizing the religious, the moral and the constitutional foundations of the nation. And, and even as you're talking about it in France, where America is so different than maybe France, I have with me, this is the first printing of the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. So when Thomas Jefferson oh, oh, pins oh, the original Oh, my draft, goodness.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wait,
0: this, this, what is this? Right. This is the first printing. Now, it's four pages. This is the first two pages. I have the uh, third and fourth page in this portfolio. But these are the original printings <laughs> of or the first printing of the original draft of the Declaration. What. Is fundamentally so unique about this, what makes America different. I know this is kind of weird trying to get this on cameras, we're doing it, but in in the second paragraph, is where Jefferson lays out. He says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their credit with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. What is so significant about this, why is America so fundamentally different? We're the, we're the first nation, the only nation that was built on the idea that there was a God and that God gave us rights and that government's primary job was to protect those rights And so in America, we've always been a land of freedom and opportunity because we recognize that the very role of the government, the limitations of the government are to protect the God-given rights that we have. And among those God-given rights are life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness. This is what has always been known as the American dream. It's what's made us different. And, And as we're talking about the original draft, one of the things worth noting is in the original draft, as Jefferson lays out all the reasons we should separate from the king, on the third page, the final draft and, or excuse me, the final grievance in the original draft of the declaration. There was originally 24 grievances, and in the final draft, there's 27. But in the original draft, the final grievance is a grievance where Jefferson outlines – this is by far the largest. Jefferson spent the most time and attention on this. He said, the reason we need to separate from the king – this is his conclusion. He says, because the king is involved in the African slave trade. He's, he's enslaving these in- innocent individuals. He's taking them to, to a new hemisphere – And, and he's enslaving. And what he says, it's this, he said, this was piratical warfare that the king was doing what pirates would do where they, they kidnap people and they capture them and they take them as slaves and they sell them. He said, this piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain. And the word Christian is printed and underlined. It's the first word, not in cursive. So he's drawing your attention to it, like saying this Christian king, this king claiming to be a Christian is doing what these, these crazy pirates would do. He goes on and says, uh, the Christian came of Great Britain, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. And that word men is fully capitalized. He's talking about the African slaves and he fully capitalizes and prints the word men. The reason this is important, when Jefferson wrote that all men are created equal, he was very clear who we're talking about. And it wasn't just for the white man that the, the narrative we hear today, that all the founding fathers were racist. They all were these pro-slavery individuals. That is fundamentally not true. Many of the founding fathers never owned slaves their entire life, but the majority of the founding fathers actually came out against slavery. It's literally in the original draft of the declaration. The only reason it wasn't in the final draft is John Hancock said they would only include in the declaration what was unanimously agreed to by all of the delegates from the 13 colonies. And there were two colonies. Jefferson wrote this that there were two colonies that opposed that grievance against the slave trade and, and arguing for the humanity of the slaves. It was Georgia and South Carolina. Because they said, we haven't tried to end the slave trade. We don't have a problem with that. That's that's not a grievance we have with the king. So that grievance did not make it in the final draft, but 11 of the original 13 colonies voted in favor of it. And and this is where today people, we just we know so little history. So we believe so many things that are fundamentally not true. But as we look at America, America is one of the most special nations in the history of the world. And a lot of it goes back to the foundation that the founding fathers laid out. Our philosophy of government was that there was a God, that, that God gave us rights, and government's job is to protect those rights, and among those are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. This is the premise that has made America different than virtually any other nation in the history of the world. And for people that are even curious about the founding fathers, go back and read the original draft, because you see the very reasons they're arguing and articulating we should separate. And, of course, you can read the final draft to see what they finally all unanimously agreed to, But even the accusations we hear today about how pro-slavery and racist they were, if we just knew some basic history, we would realize the vast majority of these accusations are not true. And America still is quite a special and unique nation, even with all of our problems there's a reason, for example, we have a major immigration problem on the Southern border. And it's not just president Biden, although that is fundamentally the reason we have this mass immigration, but there's a reason people want to come to America because there's still something fundamentally true that there is, there is still more opportunity. There's still more freedoms. There's still more prosperity here than anywhere else in the world. America still is one of the greatest nations in the history of the world.
1: For sure. I mean, we just, we need to know that. I mean, I, I grew up, my my dad came from a very big Irish Catholic family. He grew up on, on Stark Street in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which I just found out just yesterday was named after General John Stark, who was a big deal, as you know, in the Revolutionary War and was responsible for coining the term live free or die, which is the state motto in New Hampshire. I, I don't even think my father knew that, but I always wondered. So he grew up on Stark Street, which was named after General Stark, but he, he grew up extremely poor, the whole family, all eight of these kids. You know, they, they never had shoes. They never had anything. They depended heavily on the church for clothing and for food and a whole lot of things, all of them grew up to be incredibly incredibly successful individuals and it's just such a testament right to the 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 wonder of this country and i grew up hearing all kinds of stories about the odds that you know they had to overcome but they did and that was the moral of the story every single time and as kids we'd say dad can you tell us more poor stories we'd ask our aunts and uncles the same thing cuz we loved hearing that tim We loved knowing that you could start from nothing. And because of, you know, some hard work and some grit, and these were boys and girls, aunts and uncles, you know, they all became extremely successful. And it was because, you know what? They believed in themselves and their parents believed in them and their church believed in them and their community believed in them. And the whole idea was you're going to do better. And now all of a sudden, You know, kids today are hit with, well, you're not going to have, you know, you're not going to do better. You can't do better in this country because, you know, there's no chance for anybody. And I really think it's entirely the wrong approach. Don't you want to encourage kids with optimism and a can-do attitude?
0: Unquestionably. This is part of the reflection of the cultural Marxism that we are embracing because in Marxism, there were only two there were only two kinds of people there were the oppressed and the oppressors and, and and initially marx he was focusing on an economic theory and actually that was actually tried in early america back in the late 1800s early 1900s people tried to promote this marxist idea and they said look if you're poor in america it's because somebody's oppressing you but that never took hold because to the own example you just mentioned from your family Every single body right now listening, watching us, every single person, either their parents, their grandparents, or their great-grandparents, one of them started in dire poverty in America. And yet... Because in America, it's a land of opportunity. Everybody's been able to elevate their position along the way because this is still the land of opportunity. But that's why this economic theory of Marxism never stuck. And yet this is now what we've shifted to kind of like this critical race theory instead of critical theory. But it's still it's cultural Marxism. And we are telling people that fundamentally they are either oppressed or they're oppressors. And and that is a lie. First and foremost, we we should not be teaching kids lies. And there's a lot of lies, unfortunately, that are being promoted in education today. We shouldn't be telling kids lies, but we should be giving them a vision of hope and opportunity that if you work really hard and and sure, we're all going to start at different places. Some kids, their parents are incredibly wealthy. Some kids, right? you're, You're still just hoping for a peanut butter jelly sandwich every day, right? And God bless you. But this is the reality is that no matter where you start, everybody can elevate their position and they can lay a new foundation for the generations that follow after them. Everybody can change the trajectory and story if they're willing to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work because America still provides those opportunities. And part of it goes back to the foundation of our nation we were founded as a nation that recognized and, and honored this notion as part of the free market and the capitalist system in America, that it, it, in capitalism, it, it, it's the closest thing to what MLK talked about, that in capitalism, we judge people not based on the color of their skins, but on the content of their character. We, we look at what somebody is able to accomplish and what they can produce. We don't care if you're a man or woman, right? We don't care your, your ethnicity. We, we don't care the culture and the heritage. What we care in the free market and capitalism is how you are able to contribute and provide and offer things along the way. But the reason that matters is that you're then not going to be held back because you're the wrong ethnicity. You're the wrong color of skin. You're you're the wrong gender. That's not what stops you from achieving and being successful in America. But if we give kids that vision and idea, it will stop them from ever trying and they won't roll up their sleeves. They won't do the work. And then they they won't accomplish all the things. I'm a Christian and I fundamentally believe that God creates everybody on purpose and for a reason. And God gives us all different gifts and talents and abilities and, and some of those gifts and talents and abilities, I believe that God's given inventions and creativity and, and there could be cures for cancer in the rising generation that God's put vision in them. They could accomplish amazing things. But if we're telling them don't even try, then, then we won't get to enjoy the benefit. Of maybe some of the plans and purposes that God intended for that individual, because we're telling them, "Don't even this try." To the, the, the game yeah. is rigged. That is, that's an evil thing this, to tell kids. This, we should be this encouraging them. This
1: brings me to this so you know, and you are religious. I, I myself have become a well. I, I, grew up Catholic, now Congregationalist, but I, I just think it's so critical, especially you know, as raising a family, for example, making sure that kids understand there's there's something much bigger, right than anything going on in the here, there's something much bigger out there and having sort of a, a sense of that, right. Is so critical. And you look at the depression among children today, you look at what's happening to our society. It breaks my heart, but I think about how religion has been kind of scorned and, you know, look, maybe it's not for everyone, but I'll tell you a little religion goes a long way. And, knowing that there's something else more than just you, right, out there, and that there's a purpose, that that God has a purpose for you. As you just stated, it does a lot to to help people, especially in in times of struggle. And did we not go through enormous struggles in 2020 and into 21, and we're still suffering from it today. And yet bars were open and churches were closed. I mean, it's wild to me to think about that.
0: It really is. And one of the things too, that again, I'm going to go back to the, the, the Declaration of Independence. Our philosophy of government is that there's a God and God gives us rights. One of the challenges also as we become an increasingly secular society is if we no longer believe there's a God, then, then there's really not God given rights that we're going to kind of recognize and defend, but there's not God-given rights. That means all rights come from the government, which means they can regulate all of those rights. And this is where America was just built on a different foundation. We were built on the idea that government's not the one that comes up with our rights, that they're not the one that dictates and determines what freedoms we do and don't have. Their job is to protect the things that we have. And this is the founding fathers in the declaration. The opening line is the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. This was unanimous. Every founding father with all their disagreements and and as people that study history, they'll know the founding fathers disagreed about a lot of stuff. They argued all the time, but this is what they were unanimous on. They said, we all agree that this fundamental premise that there is a divine creator and he gave us rights. Our rights come from God, not the government, not the king. And the more secular we become, the more we look to government. And so when the government says, hey, you don't have the right to go to work, you don't have the right to have a business. And people are like, oh, I guess we don't. That's crazy. The government does not get to determine that. They are not the one who originated our rights. Their role is to protect our God-given rights. And this is where even if people aren't sure what they believe about God or religion, you better be – Understanding of the notion that we still want the idea of God given rights. Because if we don't preserve and protect the notion of God given rights, then ultimately all we're doing is saying whatever political party is in power, they get to determine what freedoms we do and don't have. And that's a scary and dangerous place that we do not want to be in. Because that's what happens in third world countries, banana republics, dictatorships. America's never been that. And we don't want to become that. We need to preserve the notion that there is a creator who gave us rights and that government's job is to protect those rights, that is the philosophy of government that has made America the most special, unique place in the history of the world. Well,
1: why Why is the left so obsessed with gay? Is it, is it about power? I mean, you look at, for example, I don't know if it's still on their website, but Black Lives Matter, which incidentally is is dealing with some serious financial struggles. Hmm. Um, they <laughs> spending a little too much on themselves. It's that that whole Marxism, you know, comes back to bite you in a big way. Anyway, they... they we're very negative on the nuclear family, really wanted to see the destruction of the nuclear family. I, I, i'm I'm just I, I don't understand it because to me, every American should want what's best for the country. I think marriage and children and family units are just such a critical part. Listen, you know I, I, it's not easy to raise kids on your own i I, I don't. I don't wish that really on anyone. Having a partner is so critical, and it's study after study would show you that children who come out of two-parent households do much better in life. They just do. They're, they're set up. It's easier. Again, I think you can accomplish anything still in this country, but you've got a better you know, set of facts when you're, you're starting out in the world if there's two parents there to help you through things and two parents that can help each other through things. Why would anybody want to get rid of that?
0: Yeah, to your point, you know, it, it's something that that is actually pretty statistical, easy to prove uh, with the value of having a mom and dad in the home. Because even saying two parents, a mom and dad is still different than two moms or two dads, in, in the sense mm-hmm. of what it produces in the kids statistically, yeah. how kids do mental health, emotional health, how they do academically, uh, when it comes to even crime, not committing crime or violent crimes, it, it, it's very significant what the stats show. And, and this is this is not really questionable. It's also true, as you mentioned. I mean, marriage is not easy. Easy. raising kids is not easy these are hard things but strong marriages help produce strong families and strong families help produce strong communities societies and ultimately nations we should be promoting the idea of what would make our nation the strongest and that is strong families and therefore strong marriages but where and look, I mean, you know paying, and
1: i get it by the way like you know if you're in a abusive situation like i i i want to just caution like it's 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 not necessarily always going to work for everyone hopefully it does right. but you you want to at least start with the premise right that <clears throat> you know that, that it, it it is an ideal that that hopefully should be aspired to because it will make your life a little bit easier and your children's lives right. easier and i i think yes. that you know the the idea that you know church and community helps all support that it's sort of this you know, very fluid kind of thing, right? Where, you know, the church is encouraging something, the community is encouraging. It's helping with the societal norms, which by the way, from an economics perspective, even gets you back to things like property rights and making sure that a a woman and children are provided for. Um, It's all part of sort of the, I guess, that having sort of a a society that, that works in harmony together.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to be clear, right, we're not definitely not trying to disparage anybody that's that's had to go through a tough relationship or had gone through a divorce. And we're not that we're not disparaging that. But if you're having an aspiration, right, I, th- I think everybody, even the people that have been in terrible marriages, they would go, man, I, I wish I could have been in a great marriage. Right. I mean, that's still an aspiration. But the point is that this is what we used to know helped make a society strong. And under Marxism, they, they say that kids belong to the government. We've actually seen right Democrats say this as part of what led to Youngkin's election back in Virginia in 2021. When you have Democrats saying, hey, parents should have no say in their kids' education. Right, Kids belong to the government. That's a crazy thought. But that's a Marxist and a communist idea. And this is what we are seeing promoted is we don't need families because kids should belong to the government, which, again, it's, it's just a very different premise and philosophy in the way life should work and life should function. And when people are promoting this, this Marxism, when we promote socialism and communism, people also should understand that these are the very ideas that in the 20th century alone – led to the murder of more than a hundred million humans in society. Whether we talk about Russia or China or Germany, or we can look at all these nations, this is, this is the ideology that's led to those evils. And today the argument is, well, but in America, we would do it different, right? We will fix socialism. It's going to work here for the first time of anywhere. I'm sorry.
1: You know, we've seen, we've seen that movie before a few too many times. Right. Go around the world, well, take and, your pick. You know, human beings, exactly. I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and maybe this is why they need a little religion. Well, you know, we're kind of instinctively selfish and we have to fight sometimes against those instincts. But I think the great thing about capitalism, the beauty of it is it, it sort of recognizes that human beings have those tendencies and tries to actually turn it on its head and say, OK, well, let's use that to the advantage of society. Whereas with Marxism, it's like, OK, well, let's forget those things exist Except, of course, well, they do. So then the people in charge and, you know, you look at Black Lives Matter, I just mentioned with their ex- extraordinarily expensive homes and, you know, some of the relatives being on the payroll. Like, look, you know, that's what happens. And you look at what the, the, the Castro family in Cuba and the money they had or, yeah. um, you know, Venezuela and uh, Hugo Chavez and his daughter was loaded. I mean, it, it had those are the people that wind up with all the money and everybody else. Good luck.
0: And this is where, like, socialism, Marxism, it's not a bad system if you're the one on top. In fact, it's great for you because you get all the money. It's just miserable for everybody underneath. And, and, you know, one of the arguments that I would even point out when, when we know right now the majority of college students, I've seen polling up to 75% of college students have a favorable view of socialism and this general ideology. I think we have a basic misunderstanding because any any nation, any any people group that's embraced these ideals, it has reduced freedom and prosperity. And I think you ask any college kids, hey, do you want freedom? Do you want money? And they're all going to say yes. Then you don't want socialism because but nowhere they, in the world so, so have So here's they embraced an interesting socialism. study
1: that just came out of Princeton. Uh, it, it, this was – blew me away because <laughs> you know, Princeton – you no, know, Good school, I guess, you know, like you know, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, right? Um, the Ivies are a whole whole new uh, boat these days. but anyway, uh, the the students were polled there and the overwhelming uh, majority there felt like the First Amendment was was too much, right? That in the case of any hate speech or a, you know, a controversial speaker in in many cases, they voted that it was fine to even use violence to prevent that speaker. From speaking, and I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, how much the world has changed
0: in the last
1: two, three decades. I mean, think about how much it's changed since your dad first founded Wall Builders. It's Mm -hmm. it's been massive because the idea that we don't value our basic freedom of speech, and that you think it's okay to maybe use violence to shut someone down because you don't agree with them.
0: Yeah, that's that's different. This is actually. Yeah, and this is why we exist at Wall Builders trying to restore th- that biblical and moral foundation. And by saying that, like even the, some of the basic frameworks of capitalism, it's 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 embracing some of those thoughts – that really you go back to the pilgrims and they're the ones that start the first free market system in America, but they they're, they were applying the Bible to do that. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to be in the free market or capitalism, but it, it was there was a biblical moral foundation in America that was shaped by the Bible and then restoring those constitutional principles. This is why we exist to say, hey, we should be moral people, right? We We shouldn't punch people in the face we disagree with, that there's some constitutional freedoms and protections, and we are seeing a decay of this in society around us. Now, fortunately, we also are seeing an awakening Because since COVID, there are so many people waking up going, what is happening right now? We've seen a resurgence of parents getting involved at school board meetings, parents getting involved at city council. In fact, prior to COVID, most people didn't even know the name of their mayor, right? We we didn't know who these people are. But when they start shutting us down, all of a sudden, Americans begin waking up and saying, we don't like this. And the fact that we are getting involved, this is how we solve the problem. We solve the problem when we wake up and get involved. The reason America has derailed and gone the wrong way for decades is because so many of us have sat back, and, and we haven't been involved in the process. And and we see that with elections and polling, because even if you look at elections, you never even have 50% of the nation voting in elections. You, you will see now a, a resurgence, especially at local elections, where the local elections, the, the average local election is like 3% of the local population votes for the mayor and the city council and school board. Well, now we're seeing 7 8 9%, which is still a tiny minority, but you're seeing people wake up and start to care about this again. And the more we start to care about this, the more I think we will start to see things turn in the right direction. And just, just one anecdote thought, as, as we look back, as historians, as we look back at the American Revolution. In the American Revolution, the Americans were outnumbered. They were outgunned. There was only about 25% of Americans that were supportive of the revolution and of those twenty-five percent, the estimates are it was only seven, eight, nine, ten percent that actually—that's I, I, a, a very part.
1: interesting stat, by the way, that you just mentioned. Only twenty-five, because there were a lot of people that were like, "Look, you know, just pay the taxes, you know, and 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 get on right. with
0: it." Yeah, and so estimates are it's it's between twenty-five to thirty percent that were on the side of the British, twenty-five to thirty percent that were on the side of the Patriots, and the, the the majority were in the middle, going like, "Hey, guys, like." Somebody figured it out we don't Several. care. We just don't want problems. But even of the patriots, it was only seven, eight or nine percent of the population that that opposed the British in the revolution. And actually in the revolution, the Americans lost the majority of battles. George Washington was only part of 17 battles. He only won six of those. We lost the majority of the battles in the revolution. But because we kept showing up, because we kept fighting, we eventually won The war. And I think this is what we're starting to see as Americans are starting to show up, as we're starting to push back against some of this cultural Marxism, against some of this nonsense. I think we are going to win this war, but I don't think we're there yet. I think Americans are beginning to wake up. And the more we wake up, the more we get involved. If we will stay persistent, if we will persevere, we can win this war. We've got great historic examples. You don't need the majority of the population, you need a consistent, dedicated, perseverant group of individuals who will continue to show up. And if we do, we can win these cultural battles. We can restore the constitutional well, you know, principles. You're, we are a big part of that. You're,
1: you're, What you guys are doing is a big part of that, I would just say. And I encourage people to go check out your podcast, Wall Builders. But you, you, you just showed us there a draft of the Constitution, which really negates all these theories that the founding fathers were a bunch of racists that didn't care. I mean, you just showed us. And it's fascinating that they were pointing to the King of England and citing the fact that he was engaged in the slave trade as, as one of the reasons why he was not a good Christian. And and these are stories that really are not being told because it's not expedient to do so. I um I think it's amazing what you're doing. I think it's incredible that you've suffered from some... Negative, I guess to be expected, but sort of just negative attacks. I told you off camera before we began. I read an article in some super liberal nonsense magazine blog thing that was really attacking you because you you didn't have all the history degrees that that they would have thought you should have. So you didn't you didn't go to Princeton or something. And to me, it, it just was mind boggling because. When did a historian have to have a degree when you consider that you are you're in a vault, are you not? I I should tell the viewers you are in a vault that is protecting those documents. You're actually holding them. How cool, like holding them yourself. You've read them. You, You are so steeped in this so far above and beyond what anybody with the Ph.D. from the Ivy is doing. But you're threatening Keep in mind him. Are you not to the system? Yeah. Because you have a different narrative than, say, the sixteen nineteen project.
0: Right. Which, by the way, aren't historians either, are they? (laughs) Well, no, and and that's that's a great point because, right, even the the people that would would criticize that in
1: PhD Ivy League sense.
0: Right. No, they would criticize us for not having the right credentials, but they don't criticize anybody on their side who doesn't have the right credentials because it fits the narrative, right? It's like the Bill Gates who's giving us medical advice and people are like, wait a second, you guys, y'all don't have, you're not doctors. Well, neither's Bill Gates, right? But as long as you're on their side, they're not going to criticize you if you promote the narrative they like. But if if you're on the other side and you promote a narrative they don't like, then they're going to find reasons to attack you. And this goes back to the ad hominem attack when if 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 you can't debate something on the merits of the argument, right? If you can't say, well, you're wrong historically, the way the way you presented something is historically wrong. Well, that's different than saying, right, This we don't trust this person. They don't have a degree, which really is you saying that you can't show that the argument's historically wrong, so you need to do the ad hominem thing and attack the individual. We see a lot of that because they don't have the leverage to stand on from the historic perspective because what we're promoting is actually true, and it doesn't fit the narrative of what they're promoting. That's why the attacks come. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review.